So we're continuing a series called Rate Me 1 to 10, uh, talking about our values as a church, things that make us unique. And uh, I am excited about this one this morning. If my iPad would work properly, I would even be more excited. So have you ever thought about the difference between uh, stuck and stagnant? Have you ever thought about the difference between two, stuck and stagnant? Uh, Not that big of a difference, right? Some people use them interchangeably, but I think there is a small but important difference between the two. Stuck uh, is more of like a full stop, right? It's it's a it's an abrupt thing, but uh, stagnant, it's you can keep going, right? It it maybe maybe more of a slowdown than a stop. It can be a stop, but it doesn't have to be. Stuck is more sudden, right? It kind of happens all at once, but stagnant's more of a gradual. Stuck seems more like an outside force acted upon the thing, stopping the thing. Stagnant is less about an outside force and more about the thing itself slowing down. Stuck, you almost always know, right? You almost always know, uh, obviously and quickly, that you're stuck and the accompanying feeling of panic when you realize that you're stuck. Stagnant. Stagnant can kind of sneak up on you. You don't always know that you've stagnated, almost like you have this realization that you've been there for a while. So the definition of the two, stuck means unable to move. Stagnant, on the other hand, means lacking freshness, motion, flow, progress, or change. Stale, motionless, still. So let me ask you, which one would you rather be? You're supposed to say neither. <laughs> you don't want to be the one, come on. But if you did have to pick, which one would you pick? It's a, hard, it's a hard decision though, right? Stuck or stagnant? You know what I realized this week? So I was doing a lot of research on this kind of stuff. And I think in church, we talk a whole lot more about being stuck than being stagnant. Uh, I was just doing a, but just looking around in a bunch of different places and I saw a whole bunch of like sermon series on stuck, how to get unstuck, stuck in a rut, all kinds of stuck, stuck, stuck. Didn't see near as many on stagnant. And you might be sitting here thinking, yeah, that's because stuck is just an easier thing to build a sermon series around. You'd probably be right. And you might even be thinking, dude, you're harping on a really uh, useless detail, but shut up. Um, I think this is important. Um, I, think, I think the reason we talk about this more than this is because, at least, let me own this, I think stuck is easier to admit to. I'd rather tell you I'm stuck than that I'm stagnant. Because I feel like stuck doesn't necessarily have to be my fault. You know what I mean? Like stuck doesn't have to be my responsibility. Stuck um, is an outside force working on me. So, so when I say I'm stuck, I almost even, I don't know if you, if you say I'm stuck, I almost feel instinctively that I want to put my hands up in the air like this, like I'm stuck, like I can't do anything about this. It's not my fault, it's something or someone else's fault that I'm stuck. It feels like it's, it's not me, something else. I can kind of separate myself from it. And I think stuck can kind of get me pity points, you know? Like people are a lot more likely to help someone who says they're stuck than someone who says they're stagnant. Don't you think? Like if someone says, I'm stagnant, you kind of want to be like, what are you doing? (laughs) Like, get up then, right? But if somebody says, I'm stuck, 
oh, how can we help you, right? Isn't, isn't it weird how it's almost two different emotions that these two words evoke? So I would much rather tell you that I'm stuck than stagnant. Not only that, I'd much rather tell myself that I'm stuck, not stagnant. I don't want to tell myself that I'm stagnant. I'd rather be stuck. That way I can just wait for some outside circumstance to change. I don't have to do anything. I just wait. You know, I can't do anything. I'm stuck, right? I, I, I'm stuck. That's what I'll tell myself. And even worse than that, I'd rather tell God that I'm stuck. I'm just, sorry, God, I'm just, I'm just stuck, you know? Like, I, I can't. I, I, you can change something because it's not me. You know, you could change something, then I would be able to do something, but, but until that time, God, this is kind of on you, you know, um, I can't do anything because I'm stuck. But the more I thought about it, and again, I know I'm harping on a minor detail here, I think more often than not, stuck is not the right word to describe what we experience. I think the majority, if not almost all the time, stagnant would be a more accurate word to describe where you are. It's not that we are unable to move, it's that we lack freshness, motion, progress, or change. We're stale, we're motionless, we're still. Now, there are some instances where you're stuck. So if you're sitting here thinking, oh, I can't believe you just said I'm stagnant. I'm stuck. Clearly, it's not me. And, and there, there are some instances where it really is stuck and it's not stagnant. And I get that. Uh, there is an exception to the fact that I think most uh, people are just stagnant, not stuck. Um, so maybe the asterisk is next to your name. It probably isn't. But um, maybe, maybe you really are stuck. But I think if, if you wanted to be brave this morning and be honest with yourself, the truth is, this is a much more accurate word to describe your state than that. Especially in the area of your life that I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about your spiritual life. Your spiritual life. I think it would be much more accurate to say that you are spiritually stagnated, not spiritually stuck. You are spiritually lacking freshness. You are spiritually lacking motion, flow, progress, or change. You are uh, having, experiencing a spiritual staleness. Now, maybe you're not. Maybe right now you're killing it. Maybe, maybe your spiritual life is just hopping. Maybe every morning you wake up and you punch the devil in the face and you live out your purpose all day long. Like, that's awesome. And if you are, enjoy the season. But maybe right now you're experiencing a season of spiritual stagnation. Maybe it feels like the waters of your spiritual life have kind of just stopped. Maybe um, the spiritual progress that you want to experience is kind of ground to a snail's pace if it's moving at all. And that is what I want to talk about today. What do you do when you feel this spiritually? What do you do when you're lacking spiritual freshness and motion and flow? What do you do when you're, you're spiritually stale? What can we do then? That's what I want to talk about today. Pray with me before we jump in. Jesus, um, I feel like you want to do something this morning. Lord, in, in somebody's life. And I just, I pray that uh, we would not be um, distracted or, or stubborn this morning, Lord, and just open up to what you have to say today, Lord. I, I want uh, everyone in here to experience the opposite of spiritual stagnation, Lord. And I just pray that you would move here and, and now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 
All right, so I want to jump right in. I want to give you four things uh, to like do if you're feeling spiritually stagnant, if you're in a season where things have kind of stagnated. And I just want to jump right in. First thing that I think you should do, and this is like in order, the first thing, order matters here. I think you need to call it what it is. You need to call it what it is. If you're lacking freshness, motion, flow, progress spiritually, then just say it. Say it. Don't lie. Don't tell others that everything's great spiritually when it's not. Don't tell yourself everything's great spiritually when it's not. And most importantly, don't lie to God. Don't tell God everything's great when it's not. So call it what it is. And and there might be two reasons you're tempted to not do this. One, you might be tempted to fake it, right? It's a strangely Christian thing we do. We like to fake it. We like to pretend. We like to put on that mask and say everything's great when it's not. I don't know why, but we are so drawn to telling everyone that it's awesome when it's not really awesome. And I don't know what that says about us, um, but we like to fake it. You know, fake it till you make it. Yeah, okay, that'll work. Um, I don't think we've ever had a success of that. Um, but if you're being fake to yourself and you're being fake to God, I mean, how, that's not just silly, that's stupid, right? Like, tell God, everything's great. God's like, really? <laughs> like, he was up in heaven wondering how you were doing, and then when you told him, he's like, oh, good, they're doing good, okay. Like, he didn't know. You know, he already knows this stuff. If you're stagnant, say you're stagnant. I think, like, not admitting that you're stagnant will keep you in the season of stagnation longer. You know what I'm saying? Like, you gotta, you gotta admit that you're stagnant before you can get out of being stagnant. You won't actually fake it till you make it. You'll just fake it forever. And uh, if you're looking for an example, man, in, in the Bible, uh, David is really good at this in the Psalms. If you, man, the Psalms are so good where, where David is just the most like honest and raw uh, with God. M- more than anyone else, he's just like, if he's not feeling it, he tells God he's not feeling it. And he like gets emotional about like, hey God, um, I'm not feeling your presence. So like, where are you? You know, like he gets like mad. It's almost like calling God out. Like I need, I need to feel your presence and I'm not feeling it. So where are you? And he just gets really excited about this, but he's honest about it. He's not saying, hey God, I feel you, even though he doesn't feel him. He's really raw and really honest. And man, I, I feel like that's super important for you. Don't fake it. Call it what it is. The second reason you might not call spiritual stagnation, spiritual stagnation is because you might not know what it is. Um, maybe stagnant is like all you've ever known spiritually. Like, what if for you, stagnant isn't stagnant? What if for you, stagnant is normal? You know what I'm saying? Like, you might not even recognize it. So let me, let me show you. Um, Romans 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Never, never, never be lacking in zeal. Never, it says never. It doesn't, did you see, it says never. It says never right there. You know what this reminds me of that verse? I don't know where it is because I'm faster. I should probably know that. But um, it's the one, pray without ceasing. It's in one of the epistles, I know. Um, but you read that verse, you go pray without ceasing, like never supposed to stop praying. And it's one of those verses where you kind of have that thought pop in your mind, like, is that even possible? <laughs> And you read this and you kind of think the same thing, right? Like never be lacking in zeal. And that is a command, right? When the Bible says to to do something or to not do something, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, there's no question mark at the end. Like this is what we're supposed to do. This is normal. Never be lacking in zeal. And zeal means passion, right? Zeal means 
enthusiasm, zeal, like there's an energy to it. There's almost an angstiness to zeal, right? Like that's, that's supposed to describe your spiritual life. Like if you had like, hey, give me five words to describe your spiritual life, this word should be on the list. It should make your short list of words that describe your faith, zealous, zeal. Zeal is normal or is supposed to be. So what I'm saying is, maybe the reason you've never called yourself stagnant is because you didn't know that zeal was supposed to be normal. And maybe you've called stagnant normal when stagnant is stagnant and normal is supposed to be zeal. Spiritual fervor. So your first step, if you are spiritually stagnant, is to call it what it is. And if it's not this, then it's stagnant. You're not moving, you're not, you don't have the level that you're supposed to have when it comes to energy and, and, and passion. And that, uh, I would say, is stagnant. So the first thing you need to do is call it what it is. Don't fake it. Uh, don't fail to recognize it. Call it what it is. If you're feeling stagnant, call it stagnant. Now this leads to the second thing uh, that I need you to do if you're feeling spiritually stagnant. Um, be careful of your feelings. Be careful of your feelings. Now, feelings are a way like more sensitive subject than they should be. Gosh, I feel like I'm already screwing it up. Um, it's like when I go into a conversation with my wife, like the first sentence already screwed it up and you ruined it. Um, but in our society, we've like elevated feelings to the level of like absolute truth, which is ironic because our society for the most part doesn't even believe in absolute truth. But um, so let me give my disclaimer before I start in on this. Your feelings are real. Your feelings are valid and your feelings are important. All that's true. But your feelings don't own you. Your feelings don't own you. Your feelings don't own you. I just, I feel like I need to keep saying this because we, we all know that feelings produce action, right? That's, that's the obvious one. I, I'm going to keep reminding you this. Feelings produce action. When you're feeling loving, you do loving things, right? If, you, if you're feeling loving towards your spouse, you write them a note, you give them a hug, you empty the dishwasher, you do whatever the thing is that makes them feel loving, right? Uh, or loved. Um, but what we forget is that the reverse is true as well in, in that loving actions can produce loving feelings. So yes, your feelings produce actions, but your actions produce feelings. It is a two-way street. So we act as if we can only do something if we're feeling it, but that's actually not true. You can do something and it will produce the very feeling that you're lacking. You follow? And, and by the way, don't you dare say, this contradicts number one. You just told me not to fake it. Shut up. That, that, because there's a difference, right? There's a difference between faking it and doing the thing you're supposed to do. Uh, doing the thing you're supposed to do even though you don't feel it. You know what that's called? Being an adult. Um, so, yeah, my two-year-old, he will only do when he feels. That's for sure true of him. Um, but that shouldn't be true of us, right? We should, we should be able to do even though we don't feel. And what I'm saying is the way God designed us is that these two things work together. That, yes, your feelings produce actions, but your actions can produce feelings. So what if you're not feeling anything spiritual because you're not doing anything spiritual? What if, like, and, and what you're doing is you're like, you're waiting. You're waiting to feel something spiritual so that you do something spiritual. And what if that's like only part of the way it works and that you're waiting when you should be moving? Don't wait 
If you don't feel it, do something and maybe it will produce the very feelings that you're waiting on. Don't be passive when it comes to your feelings. You're not stuck in your feelings, you're stagnant. There's a difference. You're not stuck, you're stagnant. Don't allow your emotions to become a prison in your spiritual life. Man, that's really good. You should write that down. Remember we talked about a couple weeks ago, we've been going through our values. One of our values is being a thermostat, not a thermometer. And we talked about David and how David would actually tell his soul what's up. Remember that? He would, he would um, actually kind of grab his soul by the shirt collar and say, what are you doing, right? Hey, soul, why are you downcast? Like he actually seemed to recognize when his, when his feelings were off. And he's like, no, like we're not doing this today. We're, you, come on, let's do, let, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do even though I'm not feeling it. David kind of he didn't let his feelings like defeat him and own him. He was active, not passive. And that's, that's what we have to do. Look at uh, 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7. This is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift that God gave you when I laid hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. So this... Uh, the second Timothy, the, the book of second Timothy is written by a guy named Paul to a guy named Timothy, who is a young pastor. Uh, and he's had some rough goes with, with people stuff. He's been experiencing a lot of people stuff lately. And Paul writes this. He said, Hey, this is why I remind you to fan into flames, the spiritual gift that God gave you. So what does that tell you? Flames out, right? He, Paul is actually saying to Timothy, Hey man, um, your spiritual fire went out, man. You got some you got some coals down there, but there's actually no fire right now. Timothy, do you realize that? Maybe, maybe Timothy didn't even realize that, that the fire had gone out. Maybe it was a stagnation kind of thing where it just gradually got to this place where people beat him down enough. He had so many experiences that he was just kind of like, I don't have this. It's out. It's out. And Paul says, uh, hey, Timothy, just, just wait around for the fire to start, right? Nobody, Timothy, just wait for God to send a lightning bolt and hit the, the coals and they'll reignite. It's, no, right? He says, fan into flame. Fan it in flame. Do something. Be active in this. Blow some oxygen on those coals. Get that fire going. Collect some twigs. Do what you got to do. Don't be passive when it comes to your feelings. Be active. So if you're feeling stagnant, careful. Careful of these things. Don't let your feelings control you. Your feelings are not a prison. So remember, actions produce feelings just as much as feelings produce actions. Now, this perfectly leads to the third thing that you need to do in a, a season of stagnation. So number one, call it what it is. Number two, careful your feelings. Number three, discipline yourself. Discipline yourself. Isn't discipline a weird word? I mean, we kind of hate it, right? <laughs> uh, but it, it has, you know, at least two meanings. Um, one is like doing the thing you're supposed to do even though you don't really want to do it because it's good for you, right? You discipline yourself. You do the thing even though it's not pleasant because you know you should. The other meaning is kind of like the consequences of not doing those things, right? Like you, get, you are disciplined by someone or something else, right? So it's almost as if, if you look at the two, like, hey, either you discipline yourself or someone or something will discipline you. It's almost as if you can't get away from it. Right? You're going to experience discipline one way or another. You just can't get away from it. Um, so I want to admit something to you guys. It's embarrassing. 
Um, I didn't even, ch- I should have checked this this morning and I didn't, I wasn't there, so it's not my fault. Um, but my kids, my kids are terrible, terrible at brushing their teeth. Terrible. It is, it is the shame of our family and <laughs> me and my wife talk about it way more than we should. Um, and just as a side note, uh, it's really frustrating for me because between me and my wife, genetically speaking, um, it's obvious that the kids got their teeth from her, not me. Because uh, I'm 35 years old, I've never had a cavity. So, and uh, if you're wondering, he said that kind of like he was cocky about it, I am. So uh, I've never had one. My wife, on the other hand, does not have that same, I don't even, I don't even know the situation, I just know there's metal in there. Uh, so... <laughs> Unfortunately, not only have, are the kids terrible at brushing their teeth, they also have inherited teeth that cannot handle that. Uh, so our dentist is going on an extra vacation this year. Thank you, Barton family, for that. Um, and it's frustrating because I wish my kids had that first kind of discipline, right? The kind of discipline where they would do the thing even though they don't want to do the thing because it's good. You know, they just do it. It's, and it's, it's 60 seconds twice a day, right? It's not even that big of a discipline. I mean, just please, I'd, I'd take 15 seconds of your day. Just please put the toothbrush in your mouth, move it around a little bit, and, and it would be great. But they don't even have that kind of discipline. They instead choose, by default, the second kind of discipline, which is when we find out that they didn't do it, they lose privileges and experience the wrath of mommy and daddy, or worse, when they lie about having done it. Um, my wife blew that, by the way. She told them that she went up and felt their toothbrush, so now we, they just run it under the water, so you blew the only thing that we had. Um, you're not supposed to tell them that stuff, man. It's supposed to be like, your own. how did you know, mom? But you, t- you, you pulled the curtain, now they see the wizard, so uh, you ruined everything. Um, Or they experience the discipline of having their teeth drilled by a dentist. By the way, can I just, a little side note here. I wish dentist offices were scarier. What happened to that? But I, obviously, I have never experienced this because I've never had a cavity. But, um, and I know some of you have like, you're traumatized from it. But man, have you been to one lately? There's TVs everywhere. Everything tastes like bubble gum and nothing hurts. So they don't even care. Like it's, we got, they get their teeth drilled. I'm like, hey, you're, did it hurt? No. I'm like, Phew. Next time I'm paying more for it to hurt. How about that? Because like, this, is, this is one of those situations where they don't have discipline and instead of them feeling the pain of it, my wallet feels the pain of it. It's one of those weird things. So I need to push the, the pain of their lack of discipline back on to them. Anyways, that's what's, by the way, that's being a good parent. Um, what I'm saying is you can't avoid discipline, right? You're, you're going to experience it. You either choose it on the front end willingly or you will experience it on the back end unwillingly. Pay up front, it's a, the cost is way less. Yes, there's a cost. Of course, there's a cost of being disciplined. But it's way less on the front end than it is on the back end. You're going to pay way more if you choose to not pay the front end on the back end. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Don't you realize that in a race everyone wins but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. We do it for an eternal prize. So run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So again, this is a guy named Paul writing this to a church. And he's saying, hey, like... (laughs) 
He's making this comparison. I love this comparison between uh, our spiritual lives and like an athlete who trains and competes. And um, so comparing like a physical discipline to a spiritual discipline. And he's even using the competitive spirit almost as a motivator, which by the way, I love because so many Christians, certain kind of Christians tend to say like, oh, being competitive is like wrong. Shut up. Paul wouldn't have used this example if it was. Like he's saying, tap into that competitive spirit and aim it at your spiritual formation, not just at, at your physical training, but in your spiritual training, tap into that same passion that you have there. He's making this comparison. So an athlete will train to win a trophy. An athlete has a certain kind of zeal to them, right? A certain kind of discipline to them when it comes to their training. There's a fire behind it. And he's saying that same thing that an athlete has when they're pursuing a, a trophy that will just not last is the same kind of thing you're supposed to have when it comes to your spiritual discipline. So, and then he does end with, otherwise I fear, he fears that after preaching to others, he, he might be disqualified himself. So he's pointing out, hey, I can either do this stuff on the front end or I'll experience this on the back end. I either pay a little up front or I pay a lot afterwards. So he's recognizing that I'm going to experience discipline one way or another. It's got me sandwiched in. I either pay up front or I pay afterwards. And Paul's saying, I want to choose to pay up front. So can I be, uh, can I be the cliche pastor for just a minute? I'm usually not. Um, but you need to be disciplined in reading your Bible every day and praying every day and coming to church regularly. You want to define that? <laughs> I can't even do it. It's not even fair. Because see, you guys just think I'm self-serving. Like, he just wants us to come to church. Or whatever, whatever. Um, this is like I get to the point with my kids. I'm like, you know what? Just do what you want. Um, <laughs> I just read <laughs> My wife's, he's coming off the rails. Um, so, so Barna just released a study where now normal church attendance is three out of eight, I guess. I don't know who decides these things, but I guess that's normal. Um, but I just want to encourage you, like these, these things, reading Bible, praying, and, and gathering together in a church setting, those three things, man, of how important they are and, and the kind of discipline it takes to just do those, just, just those three. And not even saying like read a whole book of the Bible. I'm like one chapter would be good. I'm not saying pray for like a half hour, you know, like pray for like, I don't know, five, even just five minutes, unbroken, five minutes, seven minutes, like what, push it to 10, like be super spiritual. It doesn't have to be some huge thing and come to church. I don't know. I want to say more than three out of eight and it's summertime. I might as well just, I don't even know what to tell you. I just don't know that three out of eight is going to help you. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a comparison. Like if I was good on my diet three out of eight weeks, what would happen? I'm trying to imagine what I would like. It just wouldn't be a good situation for me. Um, but I really, if, let me, let me put it this way. If you're feeling spiritually stagnant and you're not reading your Bible and you're not praying and you don't come to church very often, you don't have to wonder why. I know why. You're not doing the things that you need to do, so you're not feeling the things you need to feel. Um, I think reading your Bible, praying every day, and coming to church regularly are massively important to your spiritual growth. Brush your teeth, man. Brush your teeth. <laughs> it's not that hard. <laughs> um, but listen, you know what? Let me be not the cliche pastor. You don't have to. You don't have to do those things. 
You can skip all that. And you know what? Here's the truth. And maybe no pastor's ever told you this before, but you don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to pray and you don't have to come to church to be a Christian. You don't. Matter of fact, even if you don't do any of those things, God will not love you any less. That is absolutely true. You're not a Christian because of stuff you do. You're a Christian because of what Jesus did. You know that? That Jesus died on the cross. That's the thing that makes you a Christian, that you believe in that, your faith in that, the forgiveness that you receive from him in that. That's what makes you a Christian. So you don't have to do any of this. You know, and and he won't love you any less. That's crazy because I could stand up here and say, "Uh uh-oh, God's gonna be mad at you if you don't do those things. And I could try to use fear to motivate you to do those things, but I'd rather not. I'd rather just stand up here and say, you know how good of a God we have that he loves you even if you do nothing, like nothing at all. You don't... You don't pray to him, you don't read his word, you don't gather with his people, he doesn't love you any less. That should motivate you way more than, than fear ever would. So I, I hope, I hope, um, maybe, maybe you've never heard it that way, because I, I think the play that us pastors usually want to use is, you know, like, well, if you don't do those things, like, but you know what? No, God's not going to love you any less, but there will be consequences, right? Like if you don't do any of these things, you don't, you don't have any discipline in any spiritual area in your life. I mean, just walk with me down that road, what, what your life will look like. There, there's going to be consequences if you don't do them. One of them is not God loving you less. I just, I just want to establish that. So if you're, if you're feeling spiritually stagnant, call it what it is, name it. Be honest, be honest with others, be honest with yourself, be honest with God. Careful your feelings. Don't let your feelings rule you. Discipline yourself. Have some discipline. And then the last thing is connect with others. Connect with others. You know, you know what goes along with uh, stagnation? Isolation. Stagnation and isolation are almost always found together. God created us. He, he, he designed us to grow in the context of community, not in isolation, but in the context of community with others. Um, we make each other better now. Uh, so was, I was in college and I was in this class called Spiritual Formation. Uh, was, <laughs> the professor was such a weirdo. Um, which you have to, I think that's actually a part of the requirements for being a spiritual formation professor. You have to be kind of weird. Um, but he was, he was good and... and Every time I get like further away from him, I respect him more. But in the class, I was just making fun of him in my head all the time. Um, and we butted heads a little bit. He was a little different than me theologically. We won't go into that. But that's part of the problem. I was kind of very, very narrow at the time. Um, but he had us write this paper on these Christian monks called stylites. I think I'm pronouncing it right, but you'll never know the difference. So stylites. And uh, a stylite is a monk who lived on top of a pillar. Like imagine like Rome, stone pillar with not supporting a building, lived up there, lived up there. And the one, I don't remember his name because I don't care, uh, 37 years lived on a pillar. And like they would send food up in a bucket and he would send other things down in a bucket. Legit, that's like the exact line. I vividly remember one thing from that class and that is one of the things I vividly remember. I was like, ugh. That's horrible. But listen, okay. Like, people revered them as like being these awesome people for living up on the top of a pillar. So I had to write this paper. I'm like, um, 
I'm missing something here, but I don't think that's a good thing. Like, I think like, how can you live out God's mission on top of a pillar? How can you grow spiritually on top of a pillar? So I wrote this big, long thing, like kind of railing away against these stylites. And my professor, I still remember getting it back with big red ink on the side, like, uh, well, they must have made some kind of impact in the world since thousands of years you're writing a paper, thousands of years later you're writing a paper on it. <laughs> Little like clap back from the professor. And uh, I would have wrote back, we don't, you don't have that kind of interaction with the professor. I only wrote this because you made me. Like that's, <laughs> I, I don't think that that's the way this is supposed to work. Um, so, so you're not a stylite, right? You, you, don't, you don't live your Christian life on top of a pillar, no matter how introverted you are, and that sounds appealing to some of you. Like, where, where is this pillar? Is it out in the woods somewhere? Um, but, but that is not how God designed us to be, right? He, he didn't design you to grow spiritually on top of a pillar by yourself. You're not called to live in isolation. We're called to grow in community. Intentionally cultivating deep spiritual relationships with other people is the way you're really gonna grow. Uh, Check out Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. How can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple-barred cord is not easily broken. So I read some verses last week out of the Corinthians, the love chapter, and I said like, that might have been got, got read at your wedding, right? Well, this is the other one that might get read at your wedding. This is one of those ones that we always think like you put this verse in the context of being married, but that's not what this is. It's bigger than just marriage. This is just in, in life. And so what I wanna do is I'm gonna take this and like apply it to your spiritual life. Take, take every sentence in this and apply it to your spiritual life. Two people are better off than one. They can help each other succeed spiritually. You know you're better with someone else? Like, have you ever worked out by yourself? You hit, you hit a certain number of reps and you're just done. But if you have somebody standing there, they just, even if they don't say anything, they have an effect on how much you do and, and you do more because someone else, just their presence is there, let alone the fact that they might encourage you, help you, coach you a little bit. Two people spiritually are better than one person. So, so doing life with someone else, you'll be better spiritually for it. If one person falls spiritually, the other can reach out and help. But if someone falls spiritually alone, is in real trouble. So, so if, if you fall spiritually by yourself, you're in real trouble. But if you have somebody with you, if you have somebody walking down the road of life with you, they can, when you fall, go, here we go, come on now, don't stay down there, and they can help you up. By the way, just do you think maybe from this point now until like you die, do you think you might fall spiritually at some point? Maybe today, maybe right after, maybe on the ride home, your kid's gonna do something stupid, right? And it's, it's gonna be on, right? And you're gonna fall and you're gonna need some, you're gonna need people. You're gonna need people there to, to pick you back up. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm spiritually. This reminds me of that fan fan the flame verse, right? This is what Paul's saying. And and I think in community, you you can't expect to just live a perfectly zealous life your whole life on your own. You're gonna start to get cold and you're gonna have your friend who's who's still hot and you're gonna be able to get close to them and the coals from their life will heat the coals in your life and you're gonna actually be able to keep each other warm. You, You need another person for that. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated spiritually. Two can stand back to back and conquer spiritually. You know you have a spiritual enemy, right? A spiritual enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. You're going to be attacked spiritually. And on your own, this verse says you're going to get your butt handed to you. 
But if you have help, if you got somebody who spiritually will stand shoulder to shoulder, who spiritually will stand back to back and say, no, no, no. I'm not taking you on alone. I've I've got help here. You can win. You can conquer. So if you want to avoid spiritual stagnation or get out of spiritual stagnation, it, it happens in, in the context of community. It's, it's these, these relationships working together with each other that will uh, keep that fire burning. And by the way, here's a bonus. I'm, I didn't have time to write an entire section on this, but it's not just you being helped by others. It's going to be you helping others. If you want to get out of stagnation, sometimes you need to get the focus off of you. You know that? Sometimes, sometimes you're so focused on you that that's part of what's keeping you stagnated. Sometimes you just need to get your eyes off you, help somebody, pour out into others, care for others, serve others. That might be the thing that kind of pops you out of stagnation. So if you're feeling stagnant, call it what it is, careful of your feelings, discipline yourself, and connect with others. So the value that we're looking today, the value that our church holds is uh, growing or stagnant. Am I living in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow? And we always ask, we always ask these in the form of a question, trying to say, hey, which, which one am I right now? Am I growing or am I stagnant? Ask yourself that. Where are you at? And then you know what? Imagine asking your spouse that or your best friend that. What, what do you think I am? Do you think I'm growing or do you think I'm stagnant? See what they say. Because you might think you're growing, but maybe they're recognizing some stagnation that you just haven't seen yet because it's happened gradually. Or, or maybe you just, you just haven't recognized it. Where are you? Are you growing or are you stagnant? What kind of evidence do you have? And are you making this connection between the way you're living today and and who you're going to be tomorrow? Have you made that connection? That like who you are becoming today is who you're going to be tomorrow? Have you made that that connection? That, That these two things, like the little things that you do every single day produce the person you're becoming. You you can't, you can't, not do any of the things and expect to become the person that, that God has planted, like an idea in your head of the kind of person you're supposed to be. And you can't disconnect the two. Galatians 6, 7 and 8. 7 and 8. Don't be misled. You can't mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their sinful nature will harvest decay, decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. If you live a life where like you lie about being stagnant to others, to yourself, to God, if you allow your feelings to be a prison, if you're undisciplined and if you don't connect with others, what do you think you're gonna harvest? If you plant being a slave to your feelings, what do you think you're gonna harvest? If you plant a lack of discipline in your life, what do you think you're gonna harvest? If you plant complete disconnection from other people who are on the same spiritual journey as you, what do you think you're gonna harvest? They're, they're connected, they're connected. You cannot disconnect the two. But what if instead you planted something else? What if instead you planted, you know what, I'm gonna own my feelings, my feelings aren't gonna own me. What if you planted that, what would you harvest? What if you planted discipline? even just a little bit, just a couple of seeds of discipline, what would you harvest? What if you planted connection, like a deep connection with a couple other people, like not just a connection that stays shallow, but a connection that has a focus on spiritual things? What if you planted that? What would you harvest? I wonder what your life would look like if you just did a little bit of planting in the right way today with the kind of impact it might have tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. 
And then do you realize like if you can expand it out further than that for us as a church, not just for you, but for us as a church, what what kind of impact a church might have full of people who were growing rather than stagnant. The the kind of impact a church might have full of people who are zealous and disciplined in their faith. Don't you wonder what we could do if we all like turn the heat up, if we all fan into flame that spiritual gift that God has given us, if we all were intentional about our spiritual disciplines, don't you wonder what God could do with us? I wonder it, and I want to find it out. I want to find it out. So if you're feeling stagnant today, I don't don't know what what stage, what, what step you need to take, but I hope that you, I hope that you do. I hope that you don't just, uh, not move. I hope you don't just stay where you are. I hope that you recognize the stagnation and I hope that you take some kind of step forward.